0: Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. I want to take a moment and say thank you for everybody who participated last week in Faith Renewal Sunday. It was a great kickoff to what we hope to accomplish this fall. And on the backside of that, I'm like, what in the world do I want to, what would be the first thing that I'd want to talk about? And after all of that, and I'm sitting and I'm doing what so many of us do on a Wednesday night, and I'm just sitting there scrolling through my phone, and I stumble across something. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to address that on the backside of faith renewal. And so we don't have a sermon series or anything. This is just something that I felt laid on my heart that I wanted to talk about. I wanted to address something that I saw on social media, and maybe you all saw it. Now, before any of you get worried, I didn't see this on any of your walls, okay? So it's cool. It's not like anybody is like, oh my gosh, like you're talking to me. No, 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 no. But I saw a social media post, and Rob is gonna post it up for us. I saw this. And for those of you who might not be able to see it, the top says, the primary teaching of every religion. What is that primary teaching? And if you're wondering why I'm holding my phone, I'm pulling it up too so that I can read it from here. It's a great question to ask. What is central to what we believe and do? And then by extension, are we attached to that core? Does the work, our lives, the way we carry out our lives, is it actually attached to the core? this, This is a good thing to do regularly. And that's part of what we do in worship. We come back to kind of the central tenets of our faith. It's a great practice. And so I saw this. And for Christianity, it says this. It says, "In everything do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets." And you all know who said this, right? It's Jesus. It's, thank you. It's Jesus. Of course. And other and perhaps I could post it later, if you want to look at it, you can, but I wanted to but what this is doing is showing, you know what? there are some other things that sound an awful lot like that. I'm going to pick some weird ones for you. So for instance, Zoroastrianism. Not going to lie, ain't met anybody that follows after Zoroastrianism. If you have a friend, I would love to talk to them. But in Zoroastrianism, it says, Do not do unto others whatever is injurious to yourself. That sounds a lot like Jesus. For Buddhism, it says, Treat not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Taoism, regard your neighbor's gain as your own gain and your neighbor's loss as your own loss. You get the point. The point of the post, obviously, is to show the similarities between the major theologies of the world. And we, inside the church, I believe, would say, of course, of course. In fact, I was reminded of a quote from C.S. Lewis, great 20th century author, and he makes this point, he makes this very point at the very beginning of his book, which he calls Mere Christianity. He's writing about what the core of the faith is. And he writes this, he says, There have been differences between moralities, but these have never amounted to anything like a total difference. He says, Think of a country where people were admired for running away in battle, or where a man felt proud of double-crossing all the people who had been kindest to him. He says, but that, doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. There is no nation, there is no belief system that would honor those things. And so for this post, we can see that this is true. That there are wonderful similarities between the great theologies and great philosophies of the world. But the question I want to ask you Christians, is that the center of our faith? Now, if this post resonates with you, I want you to know that I get it. And I'm right there with you. Because what this post is attempting to do... It's trying to distance us from ideas that are unhealthy or harmful, and there are many. There are streams of religion, our own among them, that say that other religions are wrong at best, or worse, they are bad, they're evil, and therefore other religions and the people who practice them should be rejected. You know this, I know this. It is inside of Christianity, but it is not unique to Christianity. That there are people who say other religions are wrong and they are bad. And we must reject them and the people who observe them. And I don't have to tell you how this causes tremendous harm. Outside the church, yes, but also inside. When we get in the business of rejecting others, our own soul erodes. We are less than what God has made us to be. And so this post is intended to shine a light on on religious bigotry. And it does that beautifully. It is true that we share much, even with Zoroastrians. And we should recognize that and find common cause there, and we should celebrate that. But here's where I want to push back on this just a little bit. If we make this the core tenet of our faith, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you, if we say that is the primary teaching of every religion, which is what the heading says, if what we have to offer to the world is we're all just the same, I think we do a great disservice to the story that we tell here. Is that really all we have to share with the world? There's no nuance, subtlety, complexity, inspiration to any of these great traditions. That's all they have to offer. Be nice to one another. Because if this is all that we have to offer, then it's little wonder that there are so many in the world who are just underwhelmed and out on church and by religion more broadly. They're like, I don't need all this to tell me that. I can get it off of a fortune cookie. I mean, let's be honest with one another. No one needs to be told to do good, not a soul. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you is not new information for anyone. And if everyone really is the same, then going on the internet, going on social media, finding some feel-good stuff is enough for a meaningful, purposeful life. But let me ask you this. Is this kind of homogenization of faith, whether ours or others, is this kind of homogenization creating a more beautiful and a more compassionate world? Do we live in a better world now because we te- somebody says the primary teaching is all the same? and I would say actually, no. Is this kind of homogenization giving us direction, purpose, strength, and courage for the world that we live in and the struggles that we face? Here's what I believe. I believe that in our efforts to jettison the unhealthy and the harmful, which is good, we've also thrown out the valuable and the beautiful. And we have to be able to do one. We have to be able to rid ourselves of the bigotry that is in our world without letting go of the beauty of the story that we tell. What we need so badly is a story that enlivens hearts, That stirs imaginations, that brings us into an epic story, which we're just one tiny part of. We need something that is worth giving our lives for. And Christianity has done this. Think of the great stories of faith, whether they're in your family, in this church. The great stories that you've been told throughout your life. The, the great stories and the great successes and the great revivals that have happened. The beautiful things. Christianity has done this not because it's vanilla milk toast the same as everything else, but because it offers something unique and valuable and beautiful. You're like, well, Sam, what is that? Well, that thing, what I'm going to propose is actually the core of our faith, is what we call the gospel. The gospel. Maybe you've heard this word before. You're like, gospel. Oh yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, yes, but not quite. They get the word gospel because there was a word that, that word was already in use in a different way. Gospel literally means good news. That's all it means. Good news. And over time it has been used in a variety of different ways. There's a way in which you can use it in which good news is, hey, the O's won. And by the way, they finally won last night. <laughs> the O's won to the guy in front of you at McDonald's paid for your meal. Those are good news things. That's wonderful. Hey, your granddaughter got an A in her class. Hey, it's great. Good news. But it was used in much bigger ways as well. The Greeks used it as a, it was both the receiving of, of something good from the gods and then an offering back to the gods as thanks. That was gospel. And in fact, most profoundly, it was used by the Romans. It was Augustus Caesar who came in and said, I bring you good news. And from this good news, we get the empire of Rome. We get the Pax Romana. He claimed that he was the gospel for the world. He was good news. But at the core of it all, good news isn't a thing that we do. It is something that comes from the outside and blesses us and changes us. Augustus Caesar claimed to be that force that came into people's lives and blessed them. Even the guy at McDonald's, that guy is is coming from outside of you and blessing you. Good news doesn't come from inside. Good news comes from outside. Someone is coming to save something. And in this way, the way that we understand gospel is that something comes from outside us and saves us. It is something done for us, not by us. In this way, love your neighbor is a wonderful teaching. It is the teaching of Jesus, I I understand. But it's not yet the gospel. Because love your neighbor doesn't come from outside us. It is a call for something to come from inside of us. And by itself all by itself absent a story and context absent a why why should we love one another it is rarely good news because we'll never know if we're doing it enough that's the struggle When when we tell one another, just do the best you can. Love your neighbor as best you can. The question, if you don't ask a question on the front side, why should we do this? The question on the back side is always, am I doing this enough? Am I good enough? And it's possible. And so many of us are. We are tortured by that question. Am I good enough? As someone who wrestles with that question, constantly I can share with you that the answer in my soul when I'm asking, am I good enough? I can try to convince myself of that, but the answer way deep down inside of me is always, no, actually, you're not. And friends, that is no gospel. My worst moments, that is not good news. Love your neighbor is good counsel, it is high counsel. One might even say it is wonderful advice. But on its own, it can't be good news. Christianity, of course, embraces love your neighbor. But it is downstream of the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, Paul was struggling with the same issue that I think we are struggling with in our society today, particularly in the church. We're an old church. Paul was dealing with a very new church But the issue was still the same, that there's confusion around what is at the center of what we do. And it's comforting to me anyway to know that the church has always struggled with that. We've always tried to figure out what is really at the core because it doesn't take long for practices, behaviors, traditions to come in and start to feel like they're the core. So Paul's wrestling with this as a new church. And it's a reminder, St. Mary's, that we are going to constantly struggle to keep the gospel in focus, which is why it requires diligence and discipline to always be coming back to our core. That's That's part of what we must do. What is at the center? And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing a letter to this church in Corinth that deals with all kinds of stuff. If you want to talk about church and the realities of church life, 1 Corinthians, you will deal with everything. He's writing about worship. He's writing about communion, how we should pray, church order, who's in charge. We should get along with one another. He's writing about spiritual gifts. He's writing about love and relationships. It's a hodgepodge of stuff. And you're like, bro, this, is get, this book's getting a little long. Can we shorten this up? It's a lot in there. But here at the end, in chapter 15, there's only one chapter after this. That's kind of the goodbye message. Here in chapter 15, he says, wait a second. We're talking about all this stuff, but as we talk about this, let's not lose sight of the core. And this is what he writes. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news, good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received. Nothing he has said up to this point he has classified as gospel, only this says, which you in turn receive and in which you also stand. He says, you will stand or fall by your ability to hold on to this gospel, this good news, through which you are being saved if you hold firmly to the message. And you're like, Paul, what is it? And Paul says, for I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Paul makes it clear. What is of most importance? If we were to give all of it up, but could keep one thing, what is at the core? What is the primary teaching of our religion? It's not something for us to do. It is something that has been done for us. Christ died for our sins, and he was buried And he was resurrected, and he appeared to many. Not a moral platitude, not a behavior to be followed. It's a story. And my faith teaches me these are facts. They're facts because we're still telling this story to this day. And then Paul takes it a step further. He says, this is the story that I believe in which I've invested my life. And he says, Christ appeared to me. Paul makes it personal. He says, I am the least of the apostles. But by his grace, I am what I am, and grace, and his grace towards me has not been in vain. For Paul, everything comes back to Christ. He says, Christ has done it for everyone, and Christ has done it for me. And Christ, And he says, even the good work I do is the power of Christ inside of me. Though it was not I, he says, this is a testimony. I worked harder, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul says, everything I do is about what Jesus is doing in me, not what I do for myself. And it's this story of God's love that changed Paul's life and sent him into the world to share that message of which we are the recipients thousands of years later. The primary teaching of our religion is this. Christ died for you and for everyone. And you're like, well, what about, yes, for them too. And the gospel is not what we must do, but what has been done for us. And that alone is good news. That is what it looks like for something to come outside of us and bless us. What we could not do for ourselves, God has done for us. Sending Christ, who took on our full humanity all the way to death, and raising it up to new life. And this life now resides in each and every person who claimed Jesus as our king, which includes you and includes me. And once you get that core right, everything else falls into place. All of it. The gospel is not you need to love more. The gospel is you are so incredibly loved. And how do I know that? Because I look at the cross and I see up there, I know that Christ did that for me. And that makes it personal for me. And my life is changed because of Christ. And the world is changed because of Christ. And that message is worth giving our lives for. Pursuing it in ourselves and sharing it with others because it is a universal message. And once you get that, once you wrap your soul around that, then do unto others as you would have them do unto you falls right into place. Exactly what the Apostle John said. The Apostle John says, we love because he first loved us. We don't love so that he might love us. We love because we are already loved. So how can we be sure that Jesus is indeed the good news? I can't. That's for you to wrestle out. I can't prove this. But there's only one way to find it out, and you can't find it out by thinking about it. You have to find out by doing it. And Mark wrote an entire gospel, (laughs) Mark wrote an entire gospel to present this story to us and to have us consider what it looks like to live this story. He opens his gospel this way, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He makes no bones about the story he wants you to know, and he makes no bones that it is a special and unique gospel. It is not the gospel of Rome. It is not the gospel of self-improvement. It is not the gospel of, you know, kind of whatever seems right to you. No, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he shares it with us. And the first story he tells us as Jesus starts his ministry is not what you have to do, but what has been done. He said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. God is here. Repent and believe in the good news. Repent. You're like, oh, that means i got to do a lot of things. Well, sometimes it means that, Yes. But repent is about, I want you to think differently. I want you to change your viewpoint. I want you to reorient entirely and look at the whole world, not through the lens of competition or getting ahead. I want you to look through the whole world through the lens of God's love. The kingdom of God is here. And invest your life in that. And on the heels of that message, the kingdom of God is at hand. He goes up to a bunch of guys and he says, fellas, I want you to follow me. No doctrine, no teachings, no nothing yet. He says, I just want you to come with me. And he calls to us as well to come after him and to judge this gospel for ourselves. And for those who are willing to step out on that journey, your life will never be the same because the heart of faith is not what we must do. Although there is much to be done, but the heart of our faith is not what we do. It is what Christ has done for us. Why? Because he loves us so very, very much. So what's a first step you can take? Good news, you don't have to walk out of the building for this. You just, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Because today at the table, we offer communion. And what we say about communion is this is the body and blood of Christ. And Jesus gives us this story right before he is crucified. And I think he's looking forward. He's saying, this body and this blood is my cross made present for you yet again. And he says, I want you to take it and eat it. I want you to take these elements and get them down inside of you. Like literally, get them inside of you. So that as you walk out of here, you know Christ is present inside of you. If you ever doubted, you don't need to doubt walking out after we've been filled with Christ's body and blood and go see what happens. See what happens when you go into the world knowing that you are loved and therefore you can love. Knowing that God loves the world, which means there's not a human being you're ever gonna to talk to who God did not give his life for. And so if you're wondering about this, wanna live this out, I invite you to the communion table this morning. As I often say, don't walk, Run. Don't actually run. That could get ugly. But you take my meaning. You take my meaning. Get up here. Receive Christ and say, Christ, I am, I, I am taking body and blood. Do with me what you will because you love me. And see what happens. Friends, we'll come, to the, we'll come to this altar in just a minute. But I invite you to prepare yourselves to know that you are loved beyond anything you've ever could have imagined. Amen.